0: Welcome to Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. This podcast started with me just kind of interviewing my friends, and now we're at a point where I'm interviewing people who inspire me. Every week you are going to hear how someone else identifies with the feeling of not fitting in and success. So let's just hop into the episode and thank you for all of your continued support. My goodness! I am so excited to announce that of merch, it is my '90s fantasy, and I just have to say thank you to my friend, dear dear friend Lara, who is the second guest ever of my podcast. We just celebrated one year of the podcast. We now have a lovely website. She helped me help computer, uh, and uh, so if you want to live your '90s fantasy, we've got mugs, we've got blankets, we've got fanny packs. We're working on a denim jacket. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. So go to please don't shop and buy some merch y'all. Hey, listeners, here's an update from me. I am in the middle of an Okanis move to Hawaii, as you all know, so I am dark on interviews. But of course, if you're interested, hit me up www.pleasedontkickmeout.com, and we can set something up when I am settled in Hawaii. But that doesn't mean I don't want your pitches. Please hit me up. That's great. Um, But just full disclosure, I am dark on interviewing. Um, for anyone incoming. I am only doing outgoing interviews for other podcasts right now, but I would love to collaborate. Thank you. This week's episode features Wayward Muse, um, which focuses on cocktails, specifically right now in Chicago, and reinvigorating the bar and restaurant industry. Um, It's a great conversation, and the guy behind it is really cool. And I'm sharing this episode in honor of my husband and I's birthday week. We are Gemini twins, two days, two years apart, and my husband just really loves craft cocktails. So I'm excited to share this one, and I hope you enjoy the episode. And as always, thank you for your support. Hey, how's it going?
1: Good. How are you?
0: I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's a little, it's a little gloomy here and I'm just, ugh, it's just kind of feeling like, And it is actually Groundhog Day at the time of recording. Um, so I was about to say Groundhog Day, but it is. So um, to my listeners, of course, this is Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome and the lovely voice you're hearing on the end is Stephen Miller. Stephen, would you like to give your elevator pitch, who you are, what you do, et cetera?
1: Sure. My name is Steven, and when I'm not bartending or managing a basement bar through a pandemic, I am the creator of Wayward Muse, a media company that invites you to travel through drinks.
0: Yes, I love it. You followed me on Instagram. We have some mutual people that we follow, it seems. Um, Like I mentioned to you, my friend Dion, he does uh, Bartender's Choice Um, He's been doing that since the beginning of the pandemic. And I think he even switched out of bartending into a corporate career, but he's still doing that on the side. Um, And what really spoke to me about what you're doing is you're really sharing the craft of cocktail. Um, You're making sure that 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 special connection that you used to have going to a bar is still kept and maintained. And you're also giving really beautiful light to different bars um, around the Chicago area. So are you um, from Chicago?
1: No, I'm actually uh, from Tucson, Arizona.
0: Oh, wow. How long have you been I've, in that area?
1: I've been in Chicago now for two and a half years.
0: Nice. So I'm sure the winters were a little shocking at first.
1: <laughs> yeah. I spent a lot of, I uh, traveled all over the country as a kid. So um, my first experience of winter was actually in a nor'easter in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm accustomed to the snow, but for the first time i i actually, yesterday we got a foot and a half of snow in Chicago. And it's very interesting to see how a major metropolitan area tries to figure out what to do with all of this snow.
0: Yeah, yeah. Originally for me, like born in Minnesota, moved to Colorado when I was 10. Um, Denver, I, I, I want to say Denver doesn't have that many snow plows in the city, but whenever it would snow like a crap load, I just saw a memory the other day and like all of the RTD buses and stuff were like, backwards and sideways. And I was just reminded that I'm, I'm very lucky that I'm in California currently, but also our weather right now has been a little, little nuts. But um, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. I think you're going to share a really unique perspective, um, especially coming from the service industry aspect and kind of, you know, just in conversations you and I have had. So I'm really excited for you to be here.
1: I'm so excited to be on here too. I've had a chance to listen to a few of your different podcasts and I think it's a, a wonderful perspective that you have as well.
0: Ah, oh, thank you. Yeah, so let's just hop into it. I mean, okay, maybe we start with like pandemic, right? Right now, are you currently working? Are you uh, still in in uh, working at a bar, or what are you doing? Just working for focusing on Wayward Muse.
1: Um, so for right now, I am working. I am part of the management and bar team at Frontera Hospitality Group. Um, that's with Rick Bayless, um, a pretty well-renowned chef. Uh, so watching him shepherd his four restaurants through the storm has been, uh, eye-opening, to say the least. Yeah. Um, yeah. when I'm not doing that, obviously wayward muse takes up the other hours of my time when I'm not walking my dog or, you know, trying to take a winter nap.
0: <laughs> I love it. So do you feel like you have it all figured out?
1: Uh, no, I, I think it was last month or the month before when I got a dog that I first started waking up before noon. So Definitely don't have all the ducks in a row.
0: Awesome. What kind of dog?
1: Um, We actually got the DNA test, and the puppy is um, mostly a golden retriever, and then Australian cattle dog, and then a little bit of a pit bull as well.
0: How cute. That's so going to be a handful dog. and fun. Just make sure they always have a job because I had a cattle dog um, uh, mix before and they're they're very independent. Um, that's kind of their breed trait. But if you've got golden retriever, they're going to be very loving too. Um, but sounds like it sounds like you're going to be out for a lot of walks when the weather gets a lot better.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. We're going to see if she can take to the lake. She's actually afraid of water right now, which is kind of odd for her breed. But you know,
0: it's going to take a bit. I mean, it's also cold too. She's probably like, I don't want to go. Yeah,
1: scary. <laughs> no, let she leaves the ducks alone. So that's nice.
0: <laughs> so at, you know, I like that you were talking about like figure, having it figured it all out and like how, you know, like weathering the storm in a pandemic and, and, and stuff. Um, you know, I guess my question for you off topic would be kind of where do you see this industry going in a post pandemic world?
1: That's a great question. Um, It is going to go in a few different directions. I think that the major lesson that every restaurant that's still open has learned is to adapt and be comfortable with pivoting. Um, I've spoken with it with our management team. Whenever there's new legislation, we have to decide, do we want to pivot in that direction? So understanding what you can do, what you should do, and, and what is the right thing to do is really where you should keep your focus and your bearing. I think the, industry will keep its core values of hospitality and trying to be a, a you know a second place for people to be outside mm-hmm. of their home I think that's really uh rooted in uh, American and Western culture that restaurants are sort of a gathering place for celebrations and mm-hmm. a, a place of uh, you know communal grief for for loss as a buddy of mine once said uh well after we get through this we're either going to the bar or uh We're going to the bar. so I feel (laughs) like that's pretty rooted in who we are as, you know, Westerners. I love that.
0: It's going to, it's probably going to look different. That's kind of how I've been feeling. Some of my industry friends have said that I've got, you know, a lot of friends. I I was work, I actually worked in for a winery before I moved to San Diego. When we got stationed out here, I was, you know, doing management and stuff. They've been able to pivot. Thank goodness for them. They're, you know, a family run business, um, really passionate about what they do, um, but also, uh, you know, I'm also hearing of like things closing, and it's it's depressing for me because, um, you know, whether it be in San Diego, which I've only lived here almost two years, or if it's been in Denver where I lived most of my 20s, and you know, these there are places that I haunted and loved, and thankfully a lot of those are still around. But I just heard that Casa Bonita might not reopen. That is a real place, and mm-hmm. it has been around for the. F- you know, for 40 plus years, it's got the cliff divers. It was made famous for a South Park episode in 2004. And um, it, uh, it's something that I always joked with my husband. I'd love my ashes to be thrown off of the waterfall that the cliff divers jump off of. Like, it's more of a joke than it really would be reality. But if that was possible, I'd make him do it in my will. And I, you know, I'm seeing all these people just so upset about this 1,000-foot this establishment that can't open because of these regulations right now, you know. Closing is the food great? No. Are the drinks good? No. It's the nostalgia, and it's like the that you you went there to forget. You went there to have a good time, and so like that's been kind of bumming me out thinking about it because, you know, I grew I grew up going there, and uh, the most recently the last time I went was like for a holiday party. Like you said, you go there you go places to celebrate, you do things to commiserate or you know you know camaraderie. And, um, it's funny because what's well, not funny. I mean, I, my husband and I, we used to go out all of the time. We always had like at least one date night during the week. And then one date night on the weekend, if we could, if our schedules could fit it. And um, we're spending a lot less money now than we ever have been. I will say that because we used to go out a lot because my husband's super into craft cocktails. And so that was like our thing. That was what we enjoyed doing. And um, we haven't really, I mean, he's deployed right now. So it's not like I'm going anywhere. Um, The virus is now mutating at this point. So I'm not going anywhere, but I I do do take out quite a bit. Um, I will add cocktails to the mix and I'm really trying to give, business to anything local right now to keep it afloat. So um, while I'm not going out anymore, I'm still trying to make sure that my establishments and the people I know are taken care of in some way, shape, or form. So I'm hoping that we can all hang on just a little bit longer.
1: I think that's all it's going to take. Uh, With the vaccines rolling out, I recently read that Pfizer is committed to 200 million more vaccines Mm -hmm. by May. So once everyone agrees that the vaccine is the way to go, hopefully Congress can pass a stimulus so that uh, PPP for restaurants, uh, especially small independent restaurants, which is the real crux there. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as those things pass and are allocated uh, in an equitable manner to you know restaurant groups and independents that desperately need it, and not to conglomerates, I think that we'll be able to hold on to you know spaces.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of imposter syndrome, um, I've, you know, I've, I've, I do read these before we start and I'm always interested in, in unique perspective, of course. So I'm curious kind of, of what what this phenomenon, this feeling means to you. So do you feel like you fit in or suffer from imposter syndrome and in what ways, and what does imposter syndrome mean to you?
1: So I, I had to break this question down a little bit in my mind to try and separate and then come kind of find a way to bring it back together so I'll take Mm -hmm. do you feel like uh do I feel like I fit in um I don't know if I ever have felt like I fit in and I mean growing up uh, I never lived in one place for more than six months and when I say that people are always like oh you're you're a military brat right you know jumping Mm -hmm. from base to base and that wasn't the case uh truth be told my childhood was filled with you know, catastrophic challenges. And uh, one way that people deal with those is they move from place to place. And so that's what my mother did. And I was tagged along. And I, we always made the joke that we were gypsies and (laughs) moved from place to place, Um, living out of a van sometimes. Um, But when I became an adult, I knew that uh, all of those adversities kind of rooted me. I may not have been a perfect person, but I knew who I was and Sometimes that meant because I had a different story than others that I, I didn't fit in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that kind of lends itself to the next question of imposter syndrome. Um, Anytime I try and do something new, I I feel like I have that sense of, whoa, 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 you, you shouldn't be doing this. I think it's like an ego thing. Like my brain jumps in and it says, wait, if you, if you do this thing, you could fuck up everything else that you built, but, then you know my heart and my soul remind me, oh well. Remember all that terrible shit that happened when you were a kid. You know, this will be fine. You got this. And so a lot of the times I just take that leap um, instead of worrying about it. And I, and I think it's still important to know what imposter syndrome can be. It's a really great tool sometimes. It can be a, an alert system, you know, from your ego. Um, like that song, uh, check yourself before you wreck yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think in hearing like your story and kind of your perspective on it, um, you know, I think being able to take adversity and turn it into something creative and um, positive, as well as kind of accepting that, like, hey, like it's cool, I don't fit in. Like, I that's kind of where I was at. I, I, I as a child, I didn't move a whole lot. We moved once, but um, I it, childhood wasn't easy. I didn't fit in. Kids were mean and. And it's hard. And, um, you know, moving, moving, moving is very traumatic, <laughs> whether you're a kid or whether you're an adult, like I have to move every two years now. So I'm, I'm, I'm now getting used to it, but, um, I, I definitely don't have the children having to go through that situation. But what I will say is I've always found that my best bartenders and my best servers and my best hosts and my best chefs are people who have, uh come from adversity and turned it into their creative superpower. Um, whether it's with craft cocktails or with food or with um, design of the space, um, they just bring this perspective of wanting to belong and everyone feeling like your neighbor. And um, so I, I, I can hear in your, co- in, your, in your story that if I sat down and I got a cocktail from you that I would feel At home, as if you were my neighbor. Um, So, I just want to pay you that compliment because I think, you know, this is um, quite beautiful, like what you've been able to do. And I can feel it when I watch your videos. Um, And I just, I just, I love it. So, I have to just toot your horn for a second there. Um, And I like that you call it a a check and balance system, basically, an alert system for your ego. Um, I like to think of it like that because anytime, I think anytime it's popped up for me too, I'm like, well, yeah, we've, we've been through worse things. Like, you know, there's been more things that have happened that like, we've, we've struggled through and we've gotten through them. So like, what's one more presentation or what's, what's, what, what's, what's one more podcast interview or whatever it might be. Um, so I like that. I think that's a really unique perspective. I think it's a good perspective. I think it's helpful advice.
1: Well, thank you very kindly for those words. Um, <laughs> I'm happy that, and I hope that some people might've found them useful, you know, Sometimes you just got to take things for what they are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like, you know, no life is is, is worth living without challenges. And sometimes we have more than, than others. But I also think if you can come out of any at anything that's happened with a positive outlook, maybe it wasn't always positive. Maybe it took a while. Like for me, therapy has been great. But But as long as you can kind of learn from them and realize like what you can offer the world versus feeling like, well, I'm never going to fit in and, and fuck it. Like um, that's kind of what I've realized is that like, when I've championed my own uniqueness, my own voice, like who I am and stuff, I've attracted more people in that way. I've attracted more people, like it's almost like flies to honey versus vinegar. When Mm -hmm. I've been more of myself and I've been more sure and confident in myself, I I feel like imposter syndrome kind of of goes away a little bit. It's like, it's almost like I get out of my own way. Um, And when I really feel it is when I'm just not being myself or true to myself these days.
1: That's so accurate. And I think that's kind of what it was like when I first began the project, I was working with someone else um, and they were a partner on the project. And the moment that they said, Well, I I want to walk away from this, you can take it over. I realized that part of that imposter syndrome I was feeling was because I was trying to fulfill, you know, someone else's sense of what my creation should be. Mm -hmm. And that should be some that should be a red flag for anyone, anytime that you feel that feeling of like wait, if I say this or pursue this in this way, it won't be me. And I think there's a difference between like the, your egoic side of saying it's you and the, the side of you that is truly who you are as a reflection, as a, as a human being, those are slightly different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think imposter syndrome can come from the ego side, as opposed to, you know, your, your personal truth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that you say that because, um, in, in my past career and by marketing background, um, I have had to work with different people on projects and, um, like, like you, I've seen it one way and then they've seen it another way. And then like, we just don't mesh. Like it just doesn't work. Um, and that's not to say that like, you know, we, we couldn't come to an agreement, but there's been things I've worked on where I was like, that was not what I wanted to do. Like, this is not how I envisioned it, but then it got too far off the rails. And, and, then I, and then I would feel that. I would feel that feeling of like, well, this isn't really what I would have done. And I would have done this differently and that differently. And it's taken a long time for me to be able to just like be okay with the fact that like, sometimes things aren't gonna go my way. And sometimes, you know, every time I sit down for an interview, I don't know how it's gonna go. I, I, could, I read about you on paper, but I have no idea. You could be the most interesting person and be ultimately a dud to talk to. Um, and then I've got to like really pull at straws or, you know, it could be the best conversation. I don't want to get off. I don't want to get off the, you know, get off the horn. And I would, I want to talk to you forever. Um, and I don't think any of my interviews are bad. I think all of my guests are super lovely, super interesting. But when I ask people usually to be on the podcast, like they're in shock or they're like, what? what? I mean, I don't think I'm that interesting. And, and I'm like, okay, well, that's your first thing. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's, that's you being in your own way right there. I mean, I find you interesting. You, 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 you know, you'd be a great guest, but I understand if like, you, you know, talking's not your strong suit. And I've had people shoot themselves in the foot and just not do it. Or they've been like, I'm, I was so nervous. And I'm like, I'm just a person like you. Like, it's not like this is going to like, it's not like, it's not like this is going to like make or break a career. It's just a conversation your story will help someone else. Um, And that's kind of what I love about doing this creative side project right now, because I can't really find work in what I'm doing. And I'm not really sure what I want to do. So I've just been doing this to kind of pass the time. And it's been really interesting to kind of see where it's gone and who I've met and and just what beautiful things that they're doing for society.
1: I think... That's one of the most beautiful things about this entire pandemic is it gave people a moment to step back and look at themselves and say, what do I really want to do? And I th- think without a pandemic, a lot of people wouldn't have found themselves. Mm-mm. So there's a silver lining even to you know the adversity of what this is. As long as everyone stays safe and explores themselves uh, in a socially distant way, then
0: yeah. I-, I
1: think that. There's a lot of good that can yeah. come from
0: this, and I also feel like I've been doing. I I, I felt like last summer, um, as we were going through this pandemic, and and I'm you know sitting in San Diego. My husband's gone, and and a lot of my friends. Um, my husband being military, a lot of my friends and I were under these restrictions where it was kind of it was a it was like kind of like you probably shouldn't be going out and doing things, but if you do, then like it's not really your husband can't get in trouble for what you're doing or your spouse can't get in trouble for what you're doing, but like ideally you should not go places. And so like, we kind of all just sat in our houses and, and it was kind of like, I saw States and people and my friends around me, they stopped coming to the virtual happy hours. They stopped hanging out with me on Zoom. They stopped wanting to take my FaceTime calls. And it felt really isolating because I was sitting at home, you know, and I, I just felt like everyone, during the summer, I felt like we kind of loosened up too, too quickly. Too quickly and then all of a sudden you know we had to lock back down and then I just feel like there's just been so much contention and anger and upsetting and now I just feel like I'm at a part where a point where I just feel like you know every single day for me right now is is the same and I'm just hanging in there the best I can with what I've got and what I do and I, I just try to schedule time for um, I try to schedule time for myself and my friends and I, I still try to be as virtual as possible um, I think in the last month I've seen, two people <laughs> and that's it. And mm-hmm. and so I'm just, I, I kind of feel like, you know anything we can do right now to like sp- spread a little joy or like feel a little connected um, is, is nice too. And, and so I feel like I'm also seeing like a surge of like my friends now going back to virtual and um, you know, creating community virtually again which is kind of nice too.
1: We're so lucky to have the tools to be able to do that. I couldn't imagine 1918 and trying to do influenza no and, oh, I mean no. there's yeah. <laughs> no way to communicate with people you would have to do like virtual letter sending like you'd have to all right it is now four forty-five. pop the bottle of champagne as I pop the bottle of champagne <laughs> like it would be insanely difficult to have accomplished
0: yeah yeah and there's been some cool experiences I've done um, there was a cocktail bar in, uh, in L.A. that was going to be like this pop-up um, Cold War cocktail bar called AC Ducey. I bought my husband tickets for it for his birthday. And then, of course, you know, pandemic. So um, they ended up taking it virtually. They sent us all the things to like make the cocktail, which I mean, it's not not it's not rocket science. A lot of people have been doing this, um, but they made a way to make it interactive mm-hmm. and fun. And, and my husband was like, this was so cool. Like, I loved it. And I'm seeing more and more of these virtual experiences continue to pop up like, I've done, you know. There's this place called Big Mots. It's um, based out of LA and in NYC at, at uh, Smorgasbord, and I love their mozzarella sticks. They're delicious, and I've they taught me how to make mozzarella virtually with my husband. So like, there's just things that you can do right now so that you're not like just staring at a wall watching the paint dry if you're not comfortable going out right now. Um, and also, um, if you are, you know, I will say this just to say it, please tip and tip. Nicely tip livable wage Um, because I've got so many friends right now, like risking their lives, yourself included, to make this go, to keep afloat. Um, So if, you know, I I just always, my rule of thumb is I just tip way too much because I used to work in service. So that's always my advice to people is if you're going out right now and you are, please tip, 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 nice.
1: I think the the thing to consider there is uh, a lot of people like, well, they have a job, so they should, you know, it should be fine, right? The thing about it is a lot of people have, they don't really have a choice, right? They have to go back to work or or they'll lose their unemployment. And if they lose their unemployment, they lose their livelihood. They have no way to survive otherwise. So they have to be put in this situation because of the way that their state is handling the pandemic. So yes, I would agree. Yeah. Tip, 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 tip,
0: tip. Tip, tip. And like Scott at first, my husband, when we first, this first started, he was like, babe, like we don't know what's gonna happen. Like stop like giving money. But I had my friends in the service industry in Denver, like suddenly without work, suddenly like one of the restaurants is shut and I'm like oh no like this was someone that we used to go get cocktails from once a week on a date like this is someone that like is family um and so i've just always sat with that mentality um at least throughout the pandemic now where i'm like if i have the means to give more then i'm gonna give more and it's because i know that that's right like in my heart of hearts that's right so that's just me. That's me. And that's how I do it. Um, but, um, it's always my advice for people like right now, especially right now is just make sure that your tip is at least over 20%. Come on.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So uh, in terms of success, like what does success look like to you and do you feel successful?
1: Hmm. I, I would probably say that success can look like a lot of different things, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: for me personally, if I were to try and define it, I would say success is a, it's more of a state of being uh, where you're happy with where you are in life. Um, I would say that I the reason I think that is I've seen very successful people who have nothing to their name, but they have followed their bliss and they're so happy every moment of their lives. And what could be better or more successful than that? And then I know people who are by traditional standards would be considered extremely successful, but they're in fierce battles with depression. No one wants to be around them. And, you know, they're really suffering. So, yeah. um, But for me personally, if I were to say what makes me happy and therefore feel successful, um, I'm a very goal oriented person. Uh, A lot of people joke is like, oh, he's a Taurus. He just has to, you know, head in the same direction. Um, but for me personally, that's just how my brain works. Um, I need long-term goals with, uh, achievable short-term markers. And when I achieve those short-term markers toward my longer term goals, it makes me feel successful. Um, some of the goals that I have, I need to have a balanced family and work life. It's important to me that I spend time with those that I care about while also achieving my goals. Um, I need creative outlets. I, I need to be mentally challenged. Uh, I need to be in an environment where I have to adapt. And luckily for me, I get all of that every time I, you know, step into a restaurant or when I get to travel, whenever that happens again.
0: Yeah. I was actually going to ask you, I mean, I love your definition of success. And I I think, I think, you know, I kind of feel very similar that like, um, I'm a Gemini though, but so it just means I'm batshit crazy. Apparently. I was really Uh (laughs) close
1: to being a Gemini, Um, but I'm such a Taurus. I was three weeks early.
0: Yeah. You're like, "Uh -uh, I'm getting out of here when I want. Thanks. Um, (laughs) uh, But I, uh, I, I, I find that like, I'm very goal oriented as well, but like you, I can't, I I mean, I, I, this is where I'm like, where do I go back into the corporate world? Like, will I ever fit back in that mold? Like, because Mm -hmm. now I'm at this point where it's like, I need creativity stimulation. I need to be artistic and I need to be able to be like unbridled and I need to be able to do this and that and be loud and speak about politics in a way and be very like boisterous. Like I have so many things that I need now that I'm I'm curious, like what that's going to look like for me on the other end of it. But then also like, um, you know, I've always felt like, just like you felt at home at a restaurant. Like I've always felt like I walk in and, um, you know, I've always loved food. I've always been very interested in food. Um, My husband actually got me way more into the cocktails. I used to be very simple with what I would drink. I would drink IPAs. I don't, and like, that was it. And then um, IPAs and then like, maybe like red wine. And that was all I would drink because I just never really could find a taste for it. And once Mm -hmm. I started to- explore that craft cocktail world. I really didn't turn back. I mean, I personally, when he's gone, I'm drinking, like, I'm going to have like a white claw or something. Cause I'm, bo- I'm boring and I don't want to like go out of my way to mix stuff, but I certainly still appreciate the craft and the service and, um, the excitement of going to a new place and picking something out on a menu and stuff. Um, and for me, what success felt like was being able to afford, afford to do that. That was, I mean, it's not even just monetary. It's just being able to be able to have a good meal and with, with someone I love and care about. So similar to you, a work-life balance is very, very important as well. Um, especially because my time with my husband in the last two years has been so limited. I really had to prioritize what was important to me. And at the end of the day, losing my career was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me because I had so much time to figure out myself and my goals and kind of where I'm at in life. And my husband and I's relationship, we could work on repairing, you know, anything that was that needed to be worked on before he left. And so for me right now, I wake up and I I, I know conventionally on paper, like, it's like, you don't have the job, but like, I feel successful in the sense of I've had so many conversations and made so many beautiful connections through just doing this creative thing that I feel wealthy mentally and creatively.
1: And that's really what it's all about. I, yeah. I would definitely, I would double down on, you know, success is a state of being Yep. and if you can achieve it any way that you can pursue that. Um, it's almost like, a. I always forget the name of the author. It's Campbell, is his last name, but it's following your bliss. That's what success comes from.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think we've we've touched on it, and um, I now like to get into the portion of the podcast where I get to like really understand like how my guest's brains work, so we can say sache away to the elephant in the room, which is of course imposter syndrome. And I think you have a really beautiful perspective, so I appreciate that, but. Um, I love to hop into this next portion where we talk about fanaticals and unpopular opinions. Um, and so currently I am just absolutely fanatical about my dog. We're going to go back to that because like you, um, my dog has given me somewhat of a sense of purpose to like get up and get going in the morning. And, and even on days that I don't want to, you know, maybe go outside or maybe leave my house or maybe even get out of bed, my, my puppy Bourdain has really changed, um, changed my mood and my outlook. And I'm so grateful for having him right now in this pandemic as well, because we did lose, um, we did lose our senior boy last May. Um, And then it was so it was so fortunate that our breeder had a pup like a litter of puppies and had thought of us and was like this, this seems like the perfect personality kind of for what we're looking for so he's a cavalier king charles spaniel and you know he, sometimes he's a menace but overall i'm just so so grateful and fanatical and i'm like a crazy cavalier dog mom person and they're they're wonderful little creatures and um i just couldn't love him more so that's kind of what i'm fanatical about right now still what about you did you
1: oh did you say uh, your dog's name was bourdain yes that's legit
0: yes Uh, that's a great
1: name for a dog
0: yeah we want to get eventually another one that's that's red and white because this breed is just they're such loving dogs they're so loving um but he's like obsessed with food which i'm like did borden reincarnate into your body because he's like Mm -hmm. i'm cooking he's like at my feet he's like what are we putting in there what are we doing what are you eating what's going on um which i think is also just like his trait yeah
1: he's like looking up there like are you sure you're dicing the garlic fine enough for this dish
0: Yes, exactly. So <laughs> Bourdain was a name we wanted to, um, we always, I, we, I've always thought it would be a good dog name. This was pre him, you know, and the mental health and, and the, and the passing, mm-hmm. of course, that was very, um, we'll never know his demons, um, of course, but, that was um, yeah, so it trim- was,
1: like everyone in the restaurant industry just sobbed that day. Yeah. Even going in, like, I remember going into work that day and we were, everyone was like, so can we, can we just close early? It was, it was yeah. rough, for sure. But
0: but his passion for life and the way that he unbridled, like traveled and just th- his his wit, his humor, the way he saw things, his creativity, like everything that he stood for is really just kind of this melting pot of finding you know cultures and, and pulling out the story. And so, um, I've just always loved Anthony Bourdain. Um, and so uh, eventually we plan to get another another one and name it Fietti. Which, mm-hmm. which um, because I, um, I also, on one hand, love Bourdain, but on the other hand, also find um, Guy Fieri through this pandemic, and in general, I think he's a meme of a man, I find what he's done for restaurant workers in California to be so amazing in this last year, that I'm that I still like even though I think that you know Guy Fieri is just a meme of a man and cracks me up and the jokes on him and he finally got the memo to like hey I should make fun of myself too I still think that um you know he's he's a good person that has like good ideas and is using his fame to um you know move things forward um for his community
1: yeah I mean actions always speak louder than words and Honestly, I, I always thought that, you know, he definitely had this running joke about his appearance and he definitely had a, a different vibe than, you know, Anthony Bourdain had. But when he just stepped up for the restaurant industry in the way he did, I'm he, he snapped a lot of necks and showing that, yeah, I, I'm, I am who I am and I'm comfortable with myself and I'm here to help. So props to props to him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So for you, um, what is, uh, one or a few things you're fanatical about?
1: Um, I'm going to, there are a few things I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the restaurant industry. Um, just because I I think it's it's intrinsic to who I am at this point there, I consider them to be my family. Uh, my, my parents passed when I was a child, but I found a sense of community when I stumbled into a restaurant. And if you've ever worked in a restaurant, it's a bunch of misfits. It's artists, and dropouts, and what we call lifers. Uh, we all land in, the, in this beautiful, chaotic profession where we make other people feel like they're home. I miss the way things used to be before the pandemic. But I know my restaurant family, they, they're the craziest and strongest people. So to actually answer your question, I am fanatical about the restaurant world and the places that it's taken me and can take guests that come in
0: yeah absolutely uh i think about the movie ratatouille a lot uh with like where you know Remy makes the ratatouille dish i'm sure you've Mm -hmm. you've seen the movie right Uh, several
1: several hundred times
0: okay and and then he eats it and suddenly he's a little boy in the french Mm -hmm. countryside like that is what this industry does i mean it, it like you said it can make you feel at home it, it can be, you know, anytime I've ever traveled somewhere and I don't know someone, I just go to a restaurant, go to a bar. I ask the concierge at the hotel I'm staying at, if it was for work, where do you suggest? They always tell me where they'd like to go. Um, occasionally they'd take me with them. Um, you know, and I just have always been kind of that off the beaten path. Like, where do you like to go? No, no, no. Tell me where you actually like to go. Not your tourist suggestion.
1: Mm-hmm. And then, well, that's an important difference. Exactly. Too, because the concierge's job, like, different large restaurant groups will pay the concierge of, you know, certain hotels to recommend their establishments. That's a known fact. You have to pry a little bit like, no, I want a beer and I want a shot. Where am I going? And then they realize, you know, that's the click. That's like the little message and they can kind of tell you where they actually might go after their shift.
0: Yeah. And, and so like in Denver, I was kind of same way too. Like there was this like little, um, sushi place that if you went there at a certain time, there was a happy hour and you could get hand rolls and it was very industry driven, but we would go there. My husband and I would just go there because we would be hungry at like 10 PM. Uh, and, and we would go there and we get that. And we made so many different friends and befriended the people that used to work there. And we became friends with everyone around us um, in terms of the restaurant industry and and service. And it wasn't just because I worked in a winery; it was because I'd lived there for nine years. And I really, really prided myself on making sure that I would, you know, get to know these people and follow them if they if they if they stopped working at one place, I'd follow them to the other. And um, that kind of patronage—it's almost like fanatical. Um, and not everyone is that way, but for me, I, I'm that way. <laughs> like, uh, if if you're my favorite bartender and you leave. I'm going to follow you to the next bar. Like that's just, it was, it was the way it always was. Um, and so I'm hoping to get back to that point, you know, one day and, and I'm, I am moving to Hawaii next. And I, I know that they're, you know, it's a very hospitality driven industry. It's a very hospitality driven Island. They've had to pivot in a different way um, from, from what they've done because tourism it's dipped and it's harder to get to the Island right now. Yeah. Um, and so they've had to pivot too, um, in different ways. And I don't know if some of my friends on the Island are still staying afloat or if the places we've eaten at are still around, we don't know. So we're, we're excited to get back to the Island, but we're excited to just, you know, give our patronage, um, cause they have a, a far lower infection rate based on their quarantine program. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that means that we're going to not be safe, but I mean, we will probably get to a little bit back of more of a normalcy and like. Eating out again, or getting takeout, or going to this place called Bar Leather Apron, which is my husband's favorite bar. Um, on the I've island. heard of that one. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely incredible. Um, I forget the name of his, the the bartender there, but he's a friend of my husband's, or was. I don't know if he remembered us on our on our honeymoon. That's for sure. Because mm. Scott was like, I think we're gonna move to Hawaii next, so like I'm let's do let's let's honeymoon here and let me show you all my haunts because he used to live there. Um, okay. station there. And so he learned how to make a smoke Manhattan at this place called Pite Jigger. And then he learned, he got really obsessed with smoking cocktails going to Bar Leather Apron all the time. So mm-hmm. he met the guy, befriended the guy and just like wanted to know everything there was to know about like what goes in here, what spirit does this, what spirit does that. And because of that innate curiosity, I mean, people on the island remembered him because he, he would just ask all these, you know, questions. <laughs>
1: I, I love alcohol enthusiasts like that, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's cause it's such a deep world of understanding. And I could say that while we're talking about fanatical, I love taking those dives into different spirits and it's an incredible thing to learn. Cause you literally have to go through a nation's history to understand some of the alcohols they produce. Um, yeah. Mescal being a really prime example of that. Um, Bourbon to a similar extent for the United States, um, Pisco for Peru, like it, the list goes on. The French liqueurs are out of this world weird with how crazy their histories are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love the, I love the history of it. I'm actually in a, in a uh, I have a Peloton bike and I'm in a cocktail group called Peloton Cocktails. Um, and so every week I do a happy hour where I'll get the ingredients right now. It used to be when we were just talk and we had no format now we actually do a presentation and we make the cocktails together and then like we pair it with the food and so if you want to do the food you can if you want to do the cocktail you can if you want to wait and watch the presentation and take notes so i've been taking notes for my husband on like things we've talked about the first one we did was a manhattan one the second one was um oh gosh negroni mm-hmm. the third one we did which, which one do we just do it would oh, be really hard remember, to drink yeah. a
1: negroni on a bike <laughs>
0: well you're not I on a really- bike thankfully you're not on a bike Uh, but, but I'm saying like, uh, community has come from this Peloton thing, like where it's just kind Mm -hmm. of, it's kind of broken off. And so it's like, Oh, you like wine? Here's pillow wine. Oh, you like this? Here's this. So I joined this cocktail group or my husband actually joined it and invited me to it. And I, and then I just kind of started joining the happy hours because I was by myself and I was bored. So I, I've kind of now learned a lot more about spirits and like things you can do to modify or this, if you tweak this one thing, then something changes. Um, and so I've, I've been a lot more, um, cognizant of that kind of stuff and, and, and paying attention because, um, my goal is when Scott gets back, I want to make him like the perfect something. Like, like I want it to be like the perfect whatever cocktail and like for him to be proud of me. Cause I, I, I'm always the one that would let him make me the cocktail. And now I'm like trying to perfect recipes.
1: Well, we can, we can chat about that, at, that. at another time and I can hopefully help steer you in the, a good direction.
0: love it. So in terms of unpopular opinions, I just read yours and um, agreed <laughs> your first one,
1: mm-hmm. um, Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, that's 100% what I call it. Uh, What is one or a few unpopular opinions you have and why?
1: All right. So everyone knows that I live in Chicago, right? And there, Chicago's famous for a lot of different foods. There's the Chicago dog, but there's also everyone thinks so. Chicago deep dish pizza. People say, well, is Chicago deep dish better than New York? And I don't even think that's a real question. Because I don't think deep dish is real pizza. I think it's a meat pie and I haven't said that to anyone within a hundred miles of the city I live in because I I don't want, you know, my house to be stormed. But if I were to have one unpopular opinion, that might be one of them.
0: Honestly, (laughs) not bad.
1: Yeah, all jokes aside, um, I have another unpopular opinion. Um, The restaurant industry is at a crossroads. There, and not a lot of people know about this, but there's legislation going through um, at a national level to debate how restaurant employees are paid, uh, specifically about their tips. On one side, you have people who say that tips are an integral part of our profession, and that side um, is championed by the National Restaurant Association. It's a group that represents some of the largest uh, conglomerate restaurants, as well as any member of uh, the NRA in that area. Um, They are trying to save the tip, as they say. Uh, But there's another side, which uh, says that tipping is an old structure that can create uh, an inequitable work environment um, just to save restaurant owners a little bit of money. Um, For example, if you look at the restaurants that have removed tipped wages, women are 50% less likely to have uh, sexual harassment claims um, it's a fact that's been proven in some of the major metropolitan areas uh, of this country that a woman of color can expect to make up to less than up to $8 less an hour in tips compared to a white male in the same exact position in some of these cities if tips worked for everyone i would be all for them but i think we have an opportunity with this legislation and with our industry rebuilding that i believe that the tipped wage should be abolished. People could still tip, they could tip on top of a service charge, but I believe that it should be abolished and abolish is a really strong word. It has historical significance. And I think that in some places that it is used in a way that is oppressive. The restaurant industry has some of the highest rates of people who are still on um, food stamps who uh, need economic assistance. Uh, It's because they get paid $2.83 an hour in some states, and they don't get to see any of that money because it goes straight to taxes. And then they only get a portion of the pool, and that's pretty much left up to the owner. These are situations that I think should be avoided and to create a more professional industry that we should move forward with a European model. Uh, Give people a living wage so that they can be more respected at their jobs. They can, don't have to, you know, take these possibly very precarious negative situations uh, in their work environment because they aren't dependent and they aren't um, living for someone's tips. It's, it's a very strange way to go about things. And um, if you agree with me, the one fair wage act, you can look that up online, sign the petition, um, give the service industry a, uh, an equitable wage.
0: I agree with both your points. The first one being, yeah, no, um, it's just it's it's like a it's like a casserole. It, yeah,
1: I mean honestly, it's and listen, I love deep dish. I, I just to, won't yeah, say I just won't no. say that it's pizza.
0: Right, and then and then everyone's always like, oh, well, where's your favorite spot? Because I have a lot of friends in Chicago, and so like mm-hmm. I've been to Pequod's. I've been to. Um, Giordano's, right?
1: Giordanos.
0: And I've been to Luminati's. And Luminati's is my favorite, personally.
1: Listen, and the great thing about Luminati's is you can go anywhere in the city and there's gonna be one in there. They're not gonna be happy to see you, but they're still gonna make you the pizza. They're gonna deliver it. It's gonna be great.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I but I also like (sighs) Scott had never had deep dish. And then he was like, finally, he's like, I just want to know like what the hype is about. I just want to know. So they, they opened a Giordana's um, on 16th street mall in Denver, which is downtown Denver where I used to live. And so it was the last day we're moving out. And I was like, all right, today's, t- today's deep dish pizza day. And he was like, okay. And I said, we're just going to order a pizza. We're not going to order anything else. And he was like, no, what do you mean? I was like, it's, it's, I'm like, I'm telling you, you can only, need you do not need anything. Like I'm like one slice. And so he, we, we ended up getting an appetizer. And I said, when, because he, because they were like, it's gonna be 40 minutes. And he's like, but I'm hungry now, I just moved a couch. Like, so, so I'm like, okay, all right, well, we'll get an appetizer. So we got an appetizer and then, you know, the pizza comes, of course it's like piping hot. It's like insanely, it's gonna burn your mouth off. And because you, because you're hungry by that point, cause you're waiting for this pizza forever. And, um, and I told him, I was like, I was like, one slice will do it for you. I'm um, trust me. And he's like, babe, like, you don't know me. So he tried to eat two slices
1: mm-hmm. and I was
0: like, honey, like, and then he was like, I have a tummy ache. Can you drive to the hotel? <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure. Cause I, I was, I, I did half a slice. I was like, I can't even do a whole one. Um, cause I know that like, anytime I've gone to Chicago, I, I you have to plan the whole day if you're going to eat deep dish. Like
1: I uh, mean, it's really all around. You, have, it. To, you um, have to,
0: yeah. You have to, like, you have to take a nap. There's a nap. There's like maybe, maybe, maybe you need to like take like some fiber supplements or for something to like you know really coat that. It's it's a lot, but um, I do love it when I do have it. It's it's a great treat when I can. Um, and my last trip to Chicago, it was uh, it was at Pequod's is where I was at, and I got to see friends I hadn't seen in years, and that made me really happy. But I also needed like ten naps afterwards.
1: I mean. When I have friends come in to Chicago, I feel like Pequod's is the place because it's also a really because like a really well craft like it's a good bar layout for mm-hmm. eating deep dish because you sit down, you you wait, you sit in the neighborhood, you finally get your table, and then you get to watch all the sports ball because they have all the TVs mm-hmm. and you just get to sit there amidst all of the Chicago memorabilia and then you you wait forty minutes, have some wings, eat your deep dish. I have never brought someone there and then be unhappy with the experience.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And that's, but that's like, that's what it is. And it's, it's you're paying for like the nostalgia of it. Um, But to go back to your uh, point, your other point, I don't think this is an unpopular opinion at all Um, as a person who uh, I was working for a winery um, right before I moved. um, They were okay with paying me $2 and 65 cents. And then I wasn't making tips and they're, they, they would do that on top of my marketing wage, which was not very much either. And it's not a dig on them. I was doing it for my portfolio. It's no big deal. But in looking at that, it opened my eyes to so much. Um, I, Maybe it wasn't 265, but whatever it was, it was like whatever the minimum, minimum, minimum was, that's what they were doing. Yeah. And then I wasn't getting tips. So like everyone else was getting minimum plus tips. And so it just, um, it, it, just it's, it made me realize that like, basically you have to, it then puts you in competition because like, if you're a server, you have to think tactically and go, okay, well now I have got to sell drinks. Cause drinks are the high ticket item. That's the most yield. And mm-hmm. then I've got to do this and that and the other. And so like the whole, you know, saying that like 50% less sexual harassment claims. Yeah, absolutely. I've been hit on by creepy men for no reason. I'm just dropping off a plate of food. I'm not even, I'm not even their server. And uh, I, I think the living wage is such a key thing because when I go to other countries, like anywhere in the Europe in, in European in Europe and whatever, I see I don't see that same tense, stressed out vibe that you do at a restaurant that's failing, or maybe they didn't have another rich table, many tables mm-hmm. today. because um, you can feel the vibe when you go into a restaurant. If you're empathetic like me, or you know, you can just kind of feel it. If if it's a bad night, you can feel it. And yeah. um, and and so I think. Like this idea of abolishing it is great, and um, just uh, I will sh- I will put that link in my description for people so they can sign the petition because I think I think it's I think you're right. Like we're at a point now where it's a crossroads, and I just really believe that if we were to get rid of this tip system, we wouldn't have people you know scrambling to, to scrambling to make ends meet you know, basically not calling out sick and, and, and risking infecting other people and, and, um, you know, giving people, you know, a better quality of life. Cause right now your essential workers were fatigued. So it's like, I, I just think if we could do this, I think everyone would be a lot more happy in the long run. And, and the restaurants that have abolished it, you're right. Like they have said, you know, like, Hey, our employees are way happier. Like if you want to tip them cool, but like they, we, we tip them correctly so that they don't have to live off of what you may give them. And, that's, um, you know, that's just way better for the employee to like not have to worry about like I had an off night, like, you know, not enough tables or, or what, what have you so I agree, I absolutely agree and I don't think it's unpopular, although I think that you know, that restaurant owners who are saving a few bucks, that would be unpopular for them, but I, I agree a livable wage um, is what we should be moving towards.
1: And for the restaurant owners, if you just tack on a service charge and then give your employees a higher hourly from that service charge, like you're still going to net a little bit more profit to cover your back of house labor. So like from an actual like economic like business plan model, you'd still profit. So really, there's no there's no argument at this point. You just got to we just have to accept that things are going to change and move forward. Yeah, that's my opinion. If you don't agree with it, I understand. But.
0: Eh, they're not going to come for you about it. They might come for you about the pizza. They might come for me about the pizza, but that's fine. We we didn't say it wasn't bad. We didn't say it wasn't bad. We're just saying saying it's kind of a casserole. Exactly.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's
0: fine. (laughs) So what is currently making you happy in the world? I know we've kind of touched on some deep and um, troubling topics based on the industry and pandemic and all of that, Um, but there's got to be some positive and some silver linings. So what's currently making you happy?
1: I think um, the pandemic gave us an opportunity to really look at You know, the simple things. I like going on walks. I always have. So being able to say, you know what? I have the time to take an hour stroll, you know, through today was two feet of snow. It's Mm -hmm. fun. It's enjoyable to romp around and do that. It's been fun um, having a dog. I feel like every American uh, adopted at least one dog during the pandemic. And it's been really helpful and a good way to, you know, challenge yourself in a different way. Um, I also... and have enjoyed serving guests, both indoors and outdoors, uh, socially distanced. Um, it's challenging, it's nerve wracking, but it's kind of hard not to enjoy it because it's my profession. Um, and then learning new, new skills. Um, I never thought that I would be spending an hour and a half a day mixing audio, but here we are and I'm happy about it.
0: It's exciting. I I mean, I think you're just like, as I've said, doing really cool stuff and that segues, Um, Into the next and um, final portion of the podcast, and and thank you again for so much for taking the time to speak with me. I I really hope that this gets you guys, this gets gets you more views, gets more people on the podcast, um, gets gives you a big footprint. Um, But uh, would you have do you have something that you would like to promote?
1: Of course. Um, By the time your guests have listened to this podcast, we'll have had a bunch of different award winning guests on the Wayward Muse website. That would be waywardmuse.com. The full season of our full first season of Chicago is available at that website, as well as the podcasts, blog, and exclusive merch, all available there. Podcasts, just look up Wayward Muse weekly on Wednesday.
0: Uh, I love it, and as always, I'm going to have all the links in the description and um, all of that so that they can get in touch with you, reach out to you, um, to any service people um you know check it out it's really cool um and uh yeah i i'm I'm really i really like what you're doing because it reminds me of just i I just i miss that community and that camaraderie and and all of that and it kind of gave me like the warm fuzzies when i was watching some clips and and just um it's shot really well so i can't say enough good things about it and um you know steven you are absolutely a delight you're doing some beautiful things for the chicago community and more i really think that you know more people that think forward and creatively in the way you do will really help find us a new normal in this post pandemic world. And, um, I super appreciate you being a podcast guest today.
1: Well, you're too kind. Thank you very much. It's been a a pleasure chatting with you.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And of course, to my listeners, this is please don't kick me out a podcast about imposter syndrome. If you like what you hear rate subscribe, like buy me a pizza, whatever. Um, and make sure you connect with my guest, Steven Miller today. Um, thank you so much again. And I hope you have a great rest of your week.
1: You as well. Thank you.
0: Of pep.com, and you can enter P D K M O at checkout to receive 15% off your order. This has been Please Don't Kick Me Out, a podcast about imposter syndrome. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, like, comment, share, tell a friend. You know, that's how I'm gonna keep these stories going. Also, if you want to be a podcast guest, you can reach out to me at pdkmopodcast at gmail.com and we can get it set up. Thanks everyone for your continued support. And I look forward to, you know, connecting with you again next Monday.